Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms. And also let's connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica podcast partner, Avery. Avery is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry, and infrastructure. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. Urbanistica podcast. Hey, and welcome. Mustafa, thank you very much for having me. Very excited to be here. I'm happy to see you and also to record an episode with you. How, how are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, we had, um, we had a week of where everybody in the family was sick. So we're, we're finally getting back on track. Uh, not COVID though. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. How is it going with the work? Too much to do now? It's a good time of the year. Yes, uh, we're quite busy. Uh, we can't complain, but it's the good kind of busy. So two <laughs> thumbs up for that. Good, <laughs> good, ty- good kind of busy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you have, you have, uh, you know, before Christmas, for example, that's the kind of crazy kind of busy. <laughs> uh, so I rather have the good kind of busy where things are moving forward and, and, and things are getting done and new things are developing. So that's, that's what I call the good kind of busy. Yeah. And wh- where are you now? In which city? Uh, I'm I'm based in Graz in Austria right now well, actually for the past years <laughs> <laughs> so so let's uh, let's talk about you you're our storyteller how would you like to introduce yourself and please tell us about your passion well I'm I'm co-founder of Urban Future uh, which is uh, Europe's biggest event for making cities sustainable and that's uh, you know that's a big part of my life uh, at the moment and uh, that's where my passion is right now, at least my professional passion. So so tell us more about your background, like uh, where you grew up, what did you study and how, how, how was the journey until you're here and doing Urban Futures? <laughs> yeah, well, so, so I'm 47 now and um, I grew up in Vienna first um, and then my parents moved to, to this other city, Graz in Austria, which is... I always like to say it's the second largest city of Austria, uh, but is it's, it, true? it is. Yeah. But, but you know, it's, it's, it's just 280,000 people. So that doesn't say much, but um, at that time I totally hated it um, because everybody who came from the capital city of Vienna was like, like, like a stamp on your head uh, <laughs> from Vienna and everybody outside Vienna kind of disliked you. And as a teenager, uh, that was kind of tough. So I really hated Graz. And when I finished school, um, I went to university for a year, which I didn't particularly like here in, in, in Graz. And then I decided, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you, that horrible You don't like place. anything, nah, Gerald. You don't like anything. <laughs> no, no, that's not. That's not. <laughs> so, so I decided, uh, no, I'm going to leave Graz and, um, uh, and, and, and travel the world, basically, and uh, have other experiences. And I went to university in the United States, which I 
really liked. <laughs> Here you go. No, I really liked it. I really enjoyed uh, the the university. It's a very different system, a very different approach, also from professors and stuff. And um, it was it was a great experience for me and a great learning environment. Very inspiring. What did you study? <laughs> I study actually international finance um, and. Because, you know, that was the, the 90s. So that was the time of Wall Street when the movies <laughs> yeah, came out. Yeah. So everybody wanted to become, well, not yeah. everybody, but a lot of youngsters wanted to become stockbrokers and make the hell of a money. So I thought oh, going, you know, studying international finance, going to New York City, uh, study there, this, you know, I'm going to be super rich. And then, you know, as, as life takes all these kind of unexpected turns, in my first uh, semester break, I did an internship at an investment bank. And after four weeks, I knew I would probably do any kind of job, but becoming an investment banker. Um, they were mad. Maybe it was a bad, a bad example, but I said, I'm never going to do that job. So um, I added to my studies marketing to it. So uh, I was a double major at that time. And when I finished my studies, then I started to work uh, for a German company and I worked for it uh, briefly in Austria and then uh, in, in India, in China and in several European markets. Then... I became a business consultant. It was actually an advice from my boss. Uh, he retired and he said, Gerald, if there's like one last advice I can give you is uh, quit the job here uh, and become a consultant. It's, it's, it's not only really well paid, but it's a great school for you uh, and for, for, for a lot of people. So uh, I did that. I went to... Um, one of the top four consulting companies in the world I worked for them in Germany on a super interesting project for then um, it was the German postal service that was transferred from being a state-run business or state-run entity into Deutsche Post DHL uh, the biggest logistics provider in the world and uh, that was just the time when they when they really changed everything in this company. It was super interesting, and um, that 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 also helped me actually uh, learn one really important thing: is that if you're in the room with very high profile people like board members, they're just people. You know, you don't have to to bow for in front of them or, or have to be like super humble. Uh, they're just regular people just with a different job. And that that really helped me in my in, in my f future career steps then and also in my work uh, work right now. Very, very interesting journey. Actually, you try so many different things, different in different countries. Well, it was somehow it was always the kind that this in the end, it was the same job, uh, because when I went to, um, you know, after being a consultant, I worked for a German company in the U.S., building up the U.S. operations. Uh, that's what I did for this German company in India and China, building up their sales operations there. Then it was the marketing operations for the German company in the U.S. Uh, then uh, I want, we wanted to get kids, and uh, we came back to Europe, and... Um, I worked for Europe's biggest law firm with about 5,000 lawyers. 
working on their marketing, setting up marketing and business development in Eastern, Eastern Europe. So it was always this starting from scratch, starting something from, from, from like a white piece of paper. Uh, and, and, and that keeps, you know, that, that keeps coming up in my, in my CV, whatever I do, it's usually that kind of thing. What's the background that you started Urban Future? I mean, you were happy doing doing marketing, I guess. Yeah, well, I already mentioned it, but 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 you probably know as life takes sometimes really unexpected turns. That was definitely one of those turns uh, because at that time, I worked in Vienna. I worked for this law firm. I had the typical you know corporate job. I was uh, moving around a lot, going places, uh, meetings, making a lot of money, and. Um, uh, then I fell in love, and uh, thing thing was that my love lived in Graz. You know the place I never wanted to get back to. <laughs> and um, and there was a decision to be made, and I, I I made it, and I moved to Graz. I had no job, um, and uh, that was the start of it, of of things really changing, uh, because while I was looking for a job, um, I I supported my uh, my wife's my now wife's and um, uh, sister-in-law's business they were working for the city of Graz in the consulting project and I helped them in, in in this consulting project and the weirdest thing happened out of this consulting project we created an idea of a workshop for the city and out of this workshop that that kind of blew up into our face because it Everything started with somebody like the project manager from the city saying, Gerald, you know, what? I cannot hear the word smart city anymore. So, so that was a, started a really interesting conversation. And the bottom line was that he said, well, if you want to talk about sustainability in cities, the question is not what should we be doing? Because that's really obvious what cities should be doing. The question is, and that's, their biggest challenge is how on earth should they do it? You know, how, you know, how, how to get started, how to take people on the journey, how to take the stakeholders on the journey in an ecosystem that's so diverse with so many different interests. So we took that with us and, and, and my sister-in-law, Claudia, and, and, and the team, we came up with this idea of why don't we invite similar cities who have done similar things than the city of Graz tries to do now, we invite the project managers and we let them talk only about the things that went wrong. You know, that it's quite simple idea, but they liked it. They said, oh, that would be really cool because you know, nobody really talks about things that went wrong. Um, you can read best practice cases and everything seems, you know, sunny all the time, but we all know if you're transforming and if you're innovating, things are never sunny all the time. So they kind of liked it, this idea, and we started working on setting this workshop up, but then the weirdest thing happened. They, they obviously talked to peers about it, other cities, and we kept getting calls from other cities until we finally said, okay, so let's make this public. Uh, and, and uh, well, maybe we get like 50 people. We started out with 20 people for the workshop, then maybe 50. When we hit 100. Which, which year was it? When, when, when was it? Uh, that must have been like 
2013, 2014. Um, when, when we hit, hit 150 people who registered for the workshop, we were like, huh, we, we probably need to do some work here. Uh, need a bigger place, uh, need some kind of program. And uh, to make a, a long story short, it, it really blew up into our face and it scaled over, over the, the, the time of about six months until we ended with an event for about a thousand people from 30 countries who all traveled to Graz uh, to talk about how do you make things happen in sustainable cities. And, you know, we were so unprepared as you could potentially be unprepared for an event of that size. It felt like cramming 100 people in an elevator, but you know, people were sitting on the floor. We ran out of badges. We had no programs there. But the spirit that we experienced there was so different. Um, yeah, and that, that started Urban Future. <laughs> Wow, it's, it's an interesting story because like, wait, with your background, did you understand what they talk about, like about cities and so on? Or it was like super niched and you'd be like, okay, what, uh, what are the words they are using? Well, I think if there's one thing as a consultant that I learned is structure topics, structure an issue and get to the, to the bottom of it. So what I, what I had... It, it, it really were a couple of puzzle people, pieces, puzzle pieces that fell into place here because I had a lot of conversations with experts from the field, urban planners, uh, mobility planners, energy experts, and so on. But if you have a conversation with like 20 mobility experts, you kind of get a hangout, okay, you know, what are the issues and, and getting the bigger picture. I had no idea about the details and how to actually do it, but at least I could ask the right questions. And, and that was worth a lot because it turned out that it was, uh, it was our team that was able to not go so deep into all these special issues. So we were not like the mobility nerd kind of questions, but we took the bigger picture. That's not only interesting to the mobility people, but also to the urban planners and the politicians, etc. So suddenly there was a mobility session with a lot of different people from a lot of different areas within the city and not the typical silos that you usually see in cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it kind of happened on accident, but um, it, it is now really a critical ingredient to, to our urban future events, making sure that the topics that we select are topics that are not only interesting for one small group within a community. Is it because you want to get more uh, audience or to, to sell more tickets or? Well, no, no, well, no and yes. Uh, two things. First of all, I think when you talk about a sustainable city and you want to talk about, let's stick with the example of urban mobility, for example, it cannot be the urban mobility department in charge of it. Or, well, they might be in charge, but they can't handle it alone. There are so many touch points. You have to talk to urban planning. You have to talk to energy. You have to talk to the other infrastructure and systems. Uh, you probably have to talk to people from the communities, etc. So I think a big part is to have these people understand how to think outside the box and outside the systems that they have been working for decades now. 
That's one. Um, and the other thing is, yes, we want to get more people into the topic simply because we think to make a city sustainable needs more people and more hands on deck. And, you know, I have been at a couple of urban events and they were so boring. You know, <laughs> I consider myself as a somewhat intelligent person, but when you have these topic nerds talk to each other, they have their own language uh, and, and I couldn't understand half of it. So unless you have been part of that mobility community for 10 years, you couldn't even follow the discussion. So how could I then, if I was a mobility expert, how could I then get a politician excited about it? You know, if he doesn't even understand what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, and the same thing goes, how can I excite my urban planners? How can I excite uh, my community and my, my, my citizens? If when I start, start talking, nobody understands me. So I think a big attraction to urban future is actually translate do translation work. It's translating very particular language and, uh, and topics and make it accessible to a broader audience. Uh, it's not necessarily like a private audience. It's still a professional audience, but much bigger and much more approachable to, to everybody. And I think like, like the, dis the, the disciplines, when you say audience, like uh, which are the disciplines? Are we talking urban planners, architects? What are what groups are you targeting or do you want to invite to the table? Everybody. Um, and that's something that we really learned at the first urban future when we had it. And we had no clue what we actually just, what just happened when the first event was over. We looked very closely at who came to this event. And we were totally astonished by the fact that we saw three things. First, we saw people who come from almost any discipline. It was, I think, 21 or 22 different disciplines from, you know, from water, energy, housing, waste, education, health, and so on. Um, we saw people would come from almost any kind of organization. So it was not just municipalities and administration, but it was businesses of any size and kind. It was research, it was uh, NGOs, it was even uh, civil groups that got involved. And the third thing we saw is people who come from any, let's call it hierarchy level. So we had like mayors and CEOs of companies, but we had people like doing sustainability projects in neighborhoods and pretty much anybody in between. So here comes my marketing major background. Yeah. That's like everybody and everybody is never a good thing to talk to. Uh, so when we did some in-depth interviews then with the uh, former entities, we learned, luckily, that there's one thing linking all of these people, and that's that every single of them had such a passion in driving sustainability. So that's what we learned there. It's not about a particular group or profession that you want to get involved. It's people with a shared mindset. And suddenly, if you, if you break it down on, on like the scale of a city, it's not the urban planners who are in charge of transforming your city and, and, and the way you operate, but it's actually people from all the sectors, 
all the different organizations from all the levels who collectively then bring in their passion in driving change. And suddenly you have many people working on the same thing. And that's actually what's happening in cities around the world. It's not just the mayor or the politicians doing this. It's thousands of people working on all different areas of the city, um, shaping this transformation. And Urban Future is the place where we get them together, where we let them talk about how do you do things, what works, what doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tell me, tell me. So the first year was crazy. You didn't expect the, like uh, the number of audience and so on. So when you finished the first event, what happened next? This was 2013, and now we are 2022. So what, what was the next? Like, how did you say, okay, my, but this is something we have to keep. Yeah. So the first event that, that happened uh, was in 2014. And um, then we said, okay, we, we are on something. We, we, we hit a nerve with, with a lot of people. Uh, because in a funny side story is when we, when we did prepare for this first event, uh, you know, we, we asked a lot of people, oh, do you want to be speakers? And so, and people keep telling us, oh, isn't that the same time as Barcelona? <laughs> and, and I think when it was the third or the fourth time a person told us, he said, what the hell is Barcelona? Yeah. What is happening there? So we, we, we start to Google, uh, to Google around and we were like, oh, it's just, you know, the biggest smart city event in the world. Said, okay. <laughs> So, uh, but but here we were, same time as the biggest event in the world on, on smart cities, still yeah. getting a thousand people from thirty two countries just because it's so different. It's good. Um, so that that was the side story. Um, yeah, what happened then? We we then figured out okay, we have to do it again, and then we already knew much more about the audience, so we specifically tailored an event and said, okay, this is an event for the people who drive the change and the, drive the transformation in cities. And, um, and then, you know, it just, it just happened. You know, we had 2016, we, we had an event in Graz again. Um, we, we kind of maxed out the city in terms of hotel capacity and travel capacity. Um, then we started to develop a strategy and how can we actually make this sustainable, you know, because you need a big team to make this happen. And um, we, we then changed into a strategy of having an annual event in different cities every year across Europe. So we went to Vienna, a uh, big Austrian capital uh, in 2018. And then 19, we went to Oslo, um, 20, we would have been in Lisbon, and 21, we have been in Rotterdam. Um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, Corona the way, but uh, we, we do have a good pipeline now. We will be in Sweden, Helsingborg this year, uh, in uh, 23 in Stuttgart, Germany, 24 now, it's going to be in Rotterdam and so on. Yeah. How big is the team now? Like, how, how was the growth of the team organically? Or you'd be like, okay, we need people, we need people. Well, when we started, we were two people. Uh, and uh, the staff of the company who kind of helped in wherever we need it. Uh, now it is really a team of its own. Uh, we are now about 10 people uh, working uh, more or less full-time on it. That's during the year and during an event, uh, we are roughly 150 people working on it. 
That's so crazy. Are you happy? Yes, I are am. Are you proud? Yeah, we are proud. And I think I think what really makes me proud is that um, we, we didn't really know at that time because when COVID hit, we had to cancel the 2020 event three weeks before it happened. And we had absolutely no plan B, so it was actually canceled. But what, what happened then was that we got so many emails and so many calls from partners, from attendees, and even from cities who said, how can we help you? How can we help you survive this? Uh, because we really want to have it happen. And we had a city in Germany, and I love telling that story because it really touched us. Um, it was a city in Germany who reached out to us and saying, do you know, guys, it must be a horrible time for you um, with the event being canceled. We really love it. Uh, we have been at the past two events. We want to be at it in the future. We had to cancel all our trips from our international team, and we have some budget to spare. Can we you know, transfer you like wow. 5,000 euros? We were like, wow. are you kidding me? This is a city, yeah, exactly. this is a municipality giving us money <laughs> just so that we survive. You, yeah. So that was cool. And that, that really gave a huge push to the team uh, and see the kind of work that we're really doing. You're, you, know, you know, we really have the feeling that we touch the lives of a lot of people and, and help them be better change makers. Yeah, that's so beautiful. It's so a good story. Start crying when you yeah, got the email. Yeah, now, <laughs> you know, it, it was just this, this moment. You work for a whole year in making this happen. And it's a lot, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hassle, a lot of nights that you work. People are, you know, going places, meeting people. And then everybody is like, okay, finally it happens. And then, yeah, just right when you're there, uh, I you hate pull it, yeah. the plug and it's yeah. zero, you know, nothing happens. Nothing, 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 nothing. Yeah. And everybody is has been so unhappy and so sad about it. So it was, um, everybody was down. So this was, this was, I, I kind of waved the email around and said, listen, guys, listen, guys, what just happened? <laughs> I can imagine. But tell me, uh, Gerald, did you fall in love with the Graz, with the city? Because you hated it in the beginning, like when you were a kid. Well, it really helped that I fell in love. <laughs> um, that did a big part of the job. But no, I really did. I really did. I, I really like Graz. Um, having lived in cities like Mumbai and Shanghai and New York City, uh, in these metropolis, it's, it's cool to live. Um, but the, the kind of quality of living that you have in a smaller city like Graz, uh, it's green, it's super safe. You know, you don't have to worry about your kids when they travel anywhere at any time of the day. Uh, they can walk to school, they can bike to school. It's, it's green. You know, if you want to go out in the nature, it's half an hour and you're in the woods or in the mountains. In New York City, you, you might be possibly making it to the subway station in half an hour. And then, you know, until you actually hit nature, you need some time. So yes, I really came to appreciate that because, you know, cycling to your work, um, 10 minutes is something you, that really helps, helps you enjoy your life and focus on what really matters rather than commuting for hours every day yeah yeah 
that's true that's true and and about urban future because like i, I want to hear behind the scenes because i also um, organize an event tedx TED talk and so on and people see the event enjoy it but i love to share what is behind the scenes so can you walk us through like the process how did you decide the topic uh, speakers uh, venue and you know like like what what is behind the scenes well there, there are a couple of things happening behind the scenes so when we talk about getting the event together um, that's actually not something we do alone so we usually start with like three to four big themes that we want to cover and that's something that we discuss and 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 um agree upon together with our hosting city so we say for example okay we want to talk about mobility we want to talk about uh sustainable buildings whatever and then we have these three or four big themes and then we throw this out in the community and we're basically asking everybody we know what could we be talking about in in these sections because if you talk sustainable mobility hell that's a huge field but what's what's hot right now what what are people talking about what are people not talking about what should they be talking about what are the conversations that are missing etc and it's it's hundreds and hundreds of calls and conversations our program team has we have hundreds of suggestions from our network of topics, speakers, angles that we could take on. And um, at this point, we have close to 100 organizations that teamed up with Urban Future. And we're asking those active in these areas, we're asking them, okay, so what should we be talking about? You know, what's, what's hot right now? And we come up with this huge canvas, like a mind map with, I don't know, 50 ideas in the end uh, that we could be doing in mobility. And then we have this for each of these big themes. And then we say, okay, so how can we connect the dots now? How can we find, how can we find topics that, that touches more than just one area? And, um, and that's the fun part then. That's when you start connecting the dots. We come up with about six, eight, maybe eight uh, themes um, or topics that we then you know, develop into sessions and, and storylines. Um, and then once we have that, we again go back to the community and asking, so who are the cool people doing this? Uh, and um, that's, that's the, at least to me, the most motivating part of my job, because whatever you, you do is, or the, most of the things that you do is talking to interesting people. Um, and you realize how much is going on around the world in this field, how many people work on projects, programs, how many people are shaping and changing and doing things. And there are so many people that are doing things that you would not believe they're doing or that's possible doing for a single person. So that's 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 one part that we that we really like so putting the program together and making making sure but i think a, a big part that we really enjoy also is is making this event different in in in, in several ways so we want to give people that are attending or people that are there giving them a unique experience um 
So one thing, for example, is that we work very closely with our speakers. Um, and, you know, when you've got like 180 speakers, you, you, you just don't have 180 TED speakers. Uh, you, have, you know, you have people who are uh, still coming up with uh, PowerPoint presentations with font size <laughs> 10, I don't know, <laughs> and packed full of text. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you see these presentations and you start yawning and say, oh, boring, boring. Uh. And so what we, what we started to do a couple of years ago is really working with speaking coaches. So we are offering our speakers, uh, speaking coaches, helping them develop a story, a different, different way than they used to do it. And people really like it. So they, they, they like the input from an external person saying, hey, okay, this is your story. Um, this is what you want to present. So how about you do it this way? How about doing that way? They're showing good examples and how you can focus on it. So that's something we do um, that, that people really like. Another thing <laughs> is we want to make it personal. So we are not, uh, you know, when you sign up for the conference, you usually have somebody within our team who, who kind of knows you, at least from the speaker perspective. Um, and, and there is a personal relationship with somebody from the program team with the speakers. So what we do, we, we just put yourself then in the situation, you're coming to this event, you got like two and a half thousand people there, it's a madhouse. And there is this reception area where you get your badge and everything. And you see, oh, speakers, great. You go to the speaker's desk, you run up there. You have never seen those before. It's the first time you're in the city. And the person at the, at the um, check-in desk says, oh, Mo Mustafa, great to meet you. It's so great that you're here. And that's- I will be like, wow. Yeah, that's, this is like <laughs> the moment where people are like, what the hell? I've never seen them before. How, how the hell do they know me? They feel so important. They feel so seen. But that's something um, we do. Um, we have the people working on the on the reception desk, for example. They really study Facebooks. Um, we have Facebooks for all our speakers. So they see, okay, it's important to welcome these people by their name, say hello, asking them, you know, how the trip was. The, yeah. So, and, and, and that's a is it part of your touch, like because you work with marketing and experience, is it part of you putting it as a create a good experience for the speakers? Yes, but it came more natural, I think, because we we kind of feel to have a connection with the people that are coming. We really like them. You know, most of the people that we invite, we really like them. They're great people. So having a good conversation with them is, is interesting. I like it. I have a good conversation with people that, that I invite. So it's just natural to, to personally welcome them and say, hi, and say, how are you doing? And if they told me in their, uh, in the conversation before that, you know, the kids were sick, I'm asking you know, how the kids, you know, something like that. But seeing them as a, as a person, and it just came naturally. Uh, now we're cultivating this, yes. Uh, and it becomes some kind of a unique thing for our speakers and for us and for, for our volunteers that are working uh, for, for making the event happen. That's amazing. So this is the experience for the speakers. How about the audience? What, what kind of experience you create for them? It's mostly why, why, why it's so unique, like Urban Future. 
I think what's unique to the audience or actually to all the attendees, also to the speakers, is that it's you instantly feel there's a different atmosphere at this event compared to other urban events or tech events or smart city events. And I always collect it, uh, I always compare it to a collector's fair. I don't know if you've ever been at one of those where, I don't know, people trade little toy cars or something like that. They have these, these really long tables and, and, and they put their little treasures in front of them and sitting opposite of the table. And all they do is talk about the little cars. And they couldn't care less who the person on the other end is, really is, you know, what they do. So it could be, uh, it could be a president, it could be a cleaning person, could be, you know, whatever, doesn't matter, anybody. And it's similar at Urban Future. So you get people together and all they care about is their passion of making change happen. And, and, and because of that, it's much less the conversations and the meetings and bumping into people. It's much, much less about ego or rank or position of a particular person. And because people so much focus on their experiences and about the, the, the passion that they have, the, the joint passion that they have, these invisible barriers between the groups disappear. So you have different experts from different fields talking to each other. You have politicians talking to people that they usually don't talk to. And in the end, this results into very, very meaningful conversations that are not judgmental. Uh, so it's always, because it's always focusing on, on the experience and a lot about the, pers the person, actually, the person that's behind a job uh, or a position. And that's an environment that, that people really value so they open up and they really share experiences whether they're good experiences or whether they're not so good experiences uh, maybe they're not very proud of the, these experience of some of these experiences but they are super interesting and super important for others who are in the same position that this person had been previously and i think this open culture is something we really want to treasure and nurture and making sure that this, uh, th th this is there uh, because sharing mistakes is what can, uh, what we think can really help cities uh, to speed up the transition. Because if you keep doing the same mistakes that others have been doing over and over again, you know, why do you have to make the same mistakes? It's already out there. Yeah, and let's be honest, this is what we were doing in our cities, like doing the same mistake and thinking, okay, that's fine, keep keep going. And I have also a question, because like with the podcast, I also like to to bring up the worst practices, and this is what also you do with the urban future. Are people brave enough to share? Well, it depends. The question is, it depends. Uh, we have one session... This is like our premier session in the conference. It's called the city's fuck up night. And this is where, yeah, sorry, the language, but I think people get the point what it's about. Um, this is basically where politicians get on stage, talk about big failures that they personally had or the teams and the projects that they were involved with had. 
And when you talk about mistakes, first of all, you need to have the right person talking about it. Um, and then you have the right audience. You know, just picture yourself in a very critical group. Uh, you know, be a teenager in school, in high school, and you go out in front of your class and you say, do you know what? I really have a problem with self-confidence and, you know, everybody's going to start cracking up and laughing at you. Uh, so you're going to be bashed on it. If you, if you have that kind of an environment, it's, it's not going to work. And we were, to be honest, we were quite skeptical when we did the first time uh, that was at the conference in Vienna. And we didn't even dare to ask the city of Vienna if they wanted to participate because, you know, in Austria, politicians simply make no mistakes. This is unheard of. Uh, just ne mistakes never happen, you know, just the others make mistakes, but they don't. So, so we didn't even dare to ask them. And it was just two weeks before the conference happened. Uh, we had a brief meeting with, uh, with the deputy mayor of Vienna and she, she said, what the hell is the city's fuck up night? <laughs> and uh, so I started to give her like a, a one minute pep talk, what it is. And, and she's like, oh, that sounds cool. Can I be speaker? And we were like, really? <laughs> she said, oh yeah, we have lots of fuck ups uh, uh, and, and I could talk about them. So I was like, okay. And, you know, she rocked that place. She talked about a project of a, like a pedestrianization project. They pedestrianized the biggest shopping street in Vienna and the biggest in Europe uh, at that time. And it was a total disaster what they did. And it was like really a margin, uh, uh, margin of luck that they were able to actually make it happen. They really, they really fucked it up. Yeah, they made a lot of mistakes along the way because it was like the first time they really did it. Um, so, so she openly talked about the mistakes that they did, but she also, and that, that's the core of the presentation then was that she talked about what they learned and they implemented it now. Now we know they implemented these learnings into their next, um, pedestrianization project. And that went smooth as hell, you know, that was so smooth and nothing happened. And it was like, nobody even realized that it happened. So um so she was happy the audience was incredibly impressed and she got some of the best press that she got in her years as a politician as a politician and um that's you know that that's those are the moments that we really really live for uh with making it happen and um that's why we really treasure this session and we very carefully select who who to approach, uh, who to ask, and who to get on stage. Uh, we help them now individually, now with speaking coaches, <coughs> to to get the story right. But um, yeah, that's that that's really cool. That's really cool, and that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Do do you do you think that you created this this culture of that people brave to talk about their mistakes and tell the others that we did this and this is what we learned, like. Do you feel this that okay now it's a it's a kind of culture we have it? Yes, absolutely. I think this is this is what Urban Future stands for. What people now are expecting, and that's also why they're coming. Uh, and it's not it's not only in the city's fuck up night. It's basically in every single session when we talk about 
um, whatever topic we ask speakers, please talk about the things that did not work. And um, like in Oslo, three years ago, 2019, we had been in Oslo with the event and uh, it was a big part of the event was the big car-free city center that the city implemented. It's, it's a huge area and it was, it was visible everywhere in the program and people experienced it when they were there. And we had a session with uh, the, the deputy mayor and you know, she gave insights of how they made it and <coughs> was very open. But in the end she said, but if there is like one advice I can give you, if you wanna do a car-free area in your city, you can do whatever you want, but never call it car-free. It was like, that's weird. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a yeah. minute. Why, why is that? And, and, and I think the audience was the same. They were like, hey, why is she saying that? And she said, well, you know, it's quite, quite obvious, actually. If you, if you want to get car traffic out of an area um, and you call it, this is the car-free city center, the question is automatically, or the topic is automatically framed it's either for cars or against, which is wherever you go, a super passionate conversation, controversy. Media is going to jump on it because they, they see, you know, fights and controversy going on. But she said, in the end, that's not the issue. The issue is quality of living. It might be, um, it might be accessible of public, access of public space. It might be safety, it might be uh, pollution, whatever it is, you know, make it that and not a controversy that helps nobody. So that makes sense. <laughs> That's super interesting. And what, what about you? Like, tell me about your experience. Like, what is the best story or memory you have from uh, this Urban Futures event? Like, yeah, well... I'm I'm usually not a person that's that's getting you know in on stage. Uh, we 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 are really busy behind. But um, starting in Oslo, when the conference really got that big, our uh, our comms director she said, "Gerald, you need to get out there. Um, you, you need to get on stage." And it was like, "Oh no, I hate it. I, you know, <laughs> this is just not my thing." But so so I had um, I had to do something at the end of the conference. Um, after the city's fuck-up night. And it was there behind the stage. It was a huge theater, a uh, thousand seats. Uh, it was fully packed. Uh, and it was behind the stage, pacing up and down. I said, come on, get your, you know, get your nerves under control. And while I was pacing there, I saw the last speaker of the fuck-up night also doing the same. She was pacing up and down and was like really nervous. And um, I started to chat to her. She is um, Carolina Tuha. She was the former mayor of uh, Santiago de Chile. I was like, you know, you've yeah. been mayor. Why the hell are you nervous? You know, you, right. you, must, uh, you must have been talking to, uh, talking to people all your life. And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. But you know what? I, I never really talked about this mistake that I made. Ah. And I'm really nervous talking to a lot of people about this mistake. So a couple of minutes later, uh, she gets on stage and she tells this story of a super passionate woman mayor who transformed the city center of Santiago de Chile. 
um, they, they changed public transport, they made public transport happen, they closed roads for people, um, they, they brought in walking and cycling, it's, it's great. But she didn't deal with, uh, with opponents of it. Um, and after four years of transformation, a transformation that nobody wants to, you know, pull back. She got voted out of office, and she didn't see it coming. Um, she didn't expect it. She didn't see it coming, and um, uh, she 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 told that story very passionately on stage up to a, to to a moment where she where she had to, you know, her voice cracked up and she had to to pause for a moment because she got tears in her eyes and. At that moment, I could see from behind that quite a lot of people in the audience actually got their handkerchiefs out and, and were like, oh, this is so sad, you know? Uh, and this, this is like, I don't know, feeling striptease. I don't know how, how, how you want to call it. She really got out there on stage, dropping her pants and saying, like, this is me and I fucked it up and uh, please don't do the same. This was one of the strongest moments that I personally had experienced. Wow. Um, in, in, in any of our events. And a lot of people still remember that. That's so beautiful. And, and how was your speech? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was certainly not spectacular. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting more and more used That's to it. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what is like the, the worst uh, thing happened, like the, when it got really fucked up? Oh, you know, if you if you have big events, there is an almost endless list of stories, but but luckily nothing really major ever happened. You know, there there are speakers getting sick, speakers not finding their place, uh, planes not departing, people not coming. Yeah, you know, this is this is like the the typical juggling of hundred balls at the same time just to keep them afloat. Some fall down, but most of the things that that worked out. And uh, we're, we're lucky that up until now, um, you know, we never really had a major issue. I think what was probably the saddest thing to me personally uh, was the experience with one of our speakers, um, Pavel Adamowicz from the city of Dansk in Poland. He was, a, well, he was a Polish mayor at that time, um, a time where uh, Poland got a very conservative uh, national government and you, you didn't really hear lots of, you know, positive change-making kind of stories from, from this country at that time. But he, he was a rather liberal mayor and he was very much into integrating immigrants. So they had the, a lot of immigrants coming to Poland at that time and the national government basically wanted to get them out. And he said, come to Dansk and integrate them into the, into um, into the society in Dansk, but also wanted to use the skills that these people had to, to advance the city. So he was very progressive on this. Um, he was very much into LGBT rights and, and many other issues. And he really transformed this former industrial city um, during his time as a mayor. So he came to, to the urban feature in Vienna. He was a speaker there. He kind of rocked the place, a very positive person and it was about half a year later that we learned that uh, back in his home hometown of Dunsk at the charity event 
um, he got stabbed by a mentally challenged person and he actually died. So, so th these are moments that when you said, damn, you know, why, why is this happening? <laughs> um, and that's that, you know, that's one side of being in a public office. And I think every public officer, um, well, I, I think these time, these days, you don't even have to be a public officer. Sometimes it's enough to be a doctor. Uh, treating patients uh, to you know to get hated by people and I think what 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 we have seen uh, is is really change in how people deal with each other if they have different opinions that's like really really weird uh, these times you know there's so much hate out there which I totally don't understand why it's there wow those are a sad story Yes. Yeah, yeah. So to tell me, tell me what it, what is like what what is next because now uh, me and the listeners and also many other people that I know working with like urban planning field and city development they're looking forward to attend the next one finally the <laughs> urban future. So to tell us where is is it going to happen? Uh, what are we going to see and yeah. So the 2022 Urban Future is going to happen in Helsingborg, Sweden, which is uh, a very, well, compared to our previous cities, Vienna, Oslo, uh, Lisbon, a really small city of about 120,000 inhabitants. And uh, it's going to take place from June 1 to 3 uh, in uh, this year, 2022. And a lot of people are asking me, you know, first of all, they say, okay, I need to, to, to look it up. Where is Helsingborg? Um, a couple of people say, yeah, I'm so much looking forward to coming to Helsinki. And we're like, no, no, Helsingborg is Sweden, not Finland. Uh, so when I'm talking to people, why Helsingborg? It's always uh, the, the same story. We say, listen, you might not know this city, um, it's a, first of all, it's a city of about 120,000, and that's a size where you have lots of peers in Europe. There are many, many, many cities, much more cities than the big cities of that size anywhere in Europe. So a lot of similar sized cities with similar issues. Uh, that, that's, that's one. So it's, the relevance is quite high. Um, but what they are is probably one of the most innovative cities in Europe, uh, if not in the world, when it comes to transforming itself. And that's something that very few people really know. And uh, that's why we think it's, it's a great stage to talk about that, because what they really have been doing in the past seven, eight years is transforming their organization towards being innovative. And, you know, this sounds like so textbook-like, oh, you know, we have to transform the organization to be innovative, but, but innovation is not something that you say, no, we need to be innovative, and everybody is. It's, it's a huge journey, and what they did really is transform an internal structure of silos. Uh, you know, you had all the different teams in their silos, and they were working into an organization where now every single employee can start an innovation project. And if you have that kind of, it's, it's a totally different culture, mood, and, and, and way of working. Um, and that means not only that, that you need to take your staff on that journey, 
but you have the right managers for it. Because suddenly it's not about making sure that things are getting done, but now you suddenly need as manager to make sure that that you inspire your people, that you energize them, that you help them in realizing these projects, etc. Very different skill set, and um, that's what they have been doing. They, you know, they exchanged an insane amount of managers. Um, they got new stuff in. They developed a program specifically developed it with the university uh, on training their staff for this challenge. Um, and they, they really created a city that is now in a situation that they can innovate in any field with, with almost light speed when it comes to, to city administrations. And that's really cool. And that's why we wanted to come here and, and, and make this part of the story um, and uh, part of what other cities can, um, can, can learn from. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Actually, I, I grew up in Helsingborg. So, so shout out to, to Helsingborg. Two years ago when I started the podcast, I did the first episode with uh, Mikko Gronholm when they started the H22 and, and so on. And when he told me the story about the change in the journey, I'd be like, wow, this is so crazy. Because as you mentioned, it, it's not only about the systems, about the people, like the mindset, the leaders. And so amazing to follow the journey. So, so tell me like three days, right? From the first to the third. And what is, what is the program, the topic? So it's basically like a week that's going to be totally crazy in the city. Um, so there's a lot going on on Monday and Tuesday. There are about seven, eight other events. Uh, there are a lot of meetings, European community meetings are going to be there, project meetings from funding programs, Horizon 2020, it's the iCapitalism meeting, Green Capitalism meeting. So a lot of people from the field will be there. And then Urban Future is Wednesday and Thursday where you have, let's call it conference program, uh, where we talk about various issues and how to make change happen. That's the bottom line topic that we always have in there <clears throat> but in the end these sessions are always uh, like the fodder like the start of a conversation that's then continued in the breaks in the evenings at the conference facility but all across the city where wherever people go in the restaurants when they are meeting privately and so on it's it's just this moment where you meet so many interesting people that you don't know where to look at first and who to talk to first, because whoever you talk to, they're like really interesting. And um, that's that's what's gonna happen. And then on Friday, Friday is the day of the conference where we get out in the field and where we see and experience things. So these are things that people usually are not able to see. So we take them into inside some operations, uh, like uh, they have a very innovative recycling system and recycling facility in Helsingborg, um, wh where they where they also put a lot of materials into the circular economy. Uh, people will be able to see that. People will be able to see new city districts that are currently being developed. They get um, they have as their tour guides, so to say, deputy mayors, uh, urban planners, uh, people who are behind these projects. And it's, it's, it's not only about show, it's really much more about having conversations, conversation with these people, 
learning what, what their thoughts are, but it's also the other way around that they learn, okay, what could they best potentially improve? Uh, because you have these people from all around the world who, who see something and they say, oh, that's, that's cool, but how about this? How about that? Yeah. So, so what, what, are, what are the feelings that you want us to get after finishing this conference? Like during and after? Well, during the conference, you're going to be busy. Um, and it's, it's, uh, you're going to have the feeling, you're automatically going to have the feeling, where should I go? Where should I go? You know, what's, what's the next thing that I should be doing? Because there are like five things at the same time happening that I would like to, to be at. Um, that's okay. Um, and that's, that's the kind of feeling that we like. But most, most of all, we want people, um, we want people to be super inspired. Um, and motivated in their work, uh, get back home to where they where they are and where they work, and and be better change makers. I think one thing that people constantly tell us is when they, in particular, when they come the first time to Urban Future, they say, "Do you know? You know, I work in I don't know municipality somewhere in the middle of Italy, and um, could be anywhere." And I really, you know, I, I'm working on sustainability and I really want to shake, th- shake things up. But I often have the feeling I'm the only one, you know, and, and change is so slow and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the only one caring. And then I come to Urban Future and I see there are thousands like me who all have the same challenges. And maybe I learn that I'm not really slow after all. Uh, because we are doing some really cool work and and it's the fir- it's it's a huge motivation booster to a lot of people that are coming there seeing that there are so many people who care about the same thing working on the same issues having the same challenges you know um, it's not just you know when you really want to change things, often you question yourself, you know, doing, am I doing it right? Uh, am I the right person to do it? You know, but, but that's where you then feel, you feel that vibe and you say, okay, this, this is how I should do it. And maybe you get some inspiration, how you can improve and how you can do it better. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. And, and also, can you give us an advice? Because I also hate the thing with like, there are five parallel sessions at the same time and I want to attend all of these. How can we choose as an audience? <laughs> can you give us an advice? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just um, you just follow your feelings. You know what in that moment um, is is the right thing to do. Uh, whether you want to attend a more inspirational session or whether you want to attend uh, something where you meet a lot of people or whether you want to get into a workshop or whether you want to work on some of your skills. You know, we also have sessions focusing on developing skills that you need for, for, for making change happen. And, you know, you know, most people kind of print out the overview plan um, or, or when they arrive, they take it and then mark the sessions that they are mostly interested in. And then in every break, they said, okay, so what do I feel now? Do I take A, B, or C? And, 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 and then they go. But maybe in the break, they meet somebody uh, and they go together and uh, have an interesting conversation about something totally different. And they say, oh, there is a session on this. Maybe we should do that. And off they are. So it's, you get into that flow at the event and, um, 
you, you need to be open-minded and see where the flow takes you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful. Now I'm really looking forward to attend this um, great event. And I want to ask you, like, Gerald, what, what is your mission or Urban Future mission? Like, what do you want to tell the world? We don't want to tell the world anything. We want uh, to make uh, the cities better and more sustainable. And we want to be part of this. Uh, because we think, you know, there's there so many beautiful places in our world. And I have a lot of kids. <laughs> I want them to have uh, a world to live. So we need to work on making these transformations happen before it's too late. Uh, we're blessed with what we have and we should treasure it. And that's why... Um, why we are doing this, why we want to get bring together the most active and most passionate change makers. Um, it's, it's them who are on the ground every day, uh, touch the life of millions of citizens. And the decisions they make will touch the lives of even more for many, many years to come. And if a city now decides to introduce a system, like I don't know, like a district heating system based on gas, this damn thing is locked in for the next 50 years. Um, and, and that's why we think, come on, let's, let's get those people together who, who do this amazing things today already, who can show, yes, it is possible. Uh, you can do things outside the box. You can do things in a sustainable way because we already did it. And, and, and tell this to the world and energize those who are willing to, to actually do the steps. And there are many people willing to do the stops, to, to do these steps. And some just need a little kick in the butt to, to actually do the first step. <laughs> so, and that's, that's, we wanna, that, that's what we want to do uh, with inspiration. Yeah, that's so interesting. So beautiful answer. And now we are in the, in the final uh, section of this episode. Back to you, the storyteller. And uh, let's see... What are your thoughts and philosophy? So I will ask you a question and get uh, interesting answers from you as uh, usually you, you give me. So what makes you happy in your city? Being there, uh, you know, it makes me happy to, to cycle the city, walk the city. It's green, it's peaceful, um, it's, um, it's beautiful, it's healthy, and um, yeah, that makes me happy. Uh, but it also makes me happy to see how the young, younger generations are increasingly, increasingly voicing their opinions here um, and getting involved and, um, and actually taking the lead in, in the transformations that we need. They, they just were the big reason why the city government changed after 15, 16 years. <laughs> and that's the kind of spirit that, we, that, that I'm really proud of, uh, that the younger people care um, about and also the city give them a space or well well the kids well the small the smaller kids well the smaller kids they do have a, a lot of opportunities and i think uh, what's great are the educational uh, opportunities in the city we got five universities so we got seventy thousand students we got i don't know how many schools etc but i think it's mostly the younger generation that it's now saying, okay, we had it. Now we want to have it differently. And they're voicing it and they're getting involved 
and they're taking the lead in 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 doing things and not just sitting back and, and saying oh it should be better it should be better uh, they're doing it it's the young people that are getting into decision making the young people that are getting into politics and i think that's super interesting uh because it's you know I don't want to point fingers or, or put everybody in the same pot, but it's probably not the 60 year old white man who's going to save our cities or who's going to transform our cities um, overall. So I think it's, it's the combination of skills that we need uh, from, from all our society that we need. So we need to get this diversity that we have in our community actually also into decision making. So interesting. And what what makes you sad in your city? It used to be the lack of vision. <laughs> um, we, you know, we, we are in a very comfortable position. The city is beautiful, it's safe, things work. And, and you also see what's working only if you go other places where you don't see them working. Uh, but in the end, you know, it just kept going, 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 developing without a clear plan. Where the hell do we want to be with the city in 10 years, 25 years down the road? Because if we, if we, if we really take seriously what, for example, we um, as Austria, as a country, pledged at, at, um, at the Paris Agreement or the various COP conferences, uh, if we take seriously our responsibility in climate change, then we must transform our cities quite substantially. And there was just almost nothing in it. There was no vision. How, how do we want to see the city in 25 years? And how on earth are we going to do it? And um, that was something that, that, that kind of made me sad that, that this vision was not there. And it seems that slowly now it is coming coming hmm? great to hear that that it's coming and uh, the next question what, what should urban planners stop doing in cities is now it's not only about your city what they should stop doing i'm i'm not too familiar with the with the you know the day-to-day -day work of urban planners but what i probably can say what they should be doing is that they should get out more and um, I take the words from uh, from a dear friend, uh, uh, Jennifer Kiesma, former um, chief urban planner from Toronto. She said um, when she had been working in urban planning, she started something very new in, in North America, and that is she hired people for communications in their urban planning team. And she said, today, the task of an urban planner should be 50% planning expertise and it should be at least 50% communication skills because now a project very often is about how to get the stakeholders involved, how to, how, how to even define a project is already requiring talking to people. And if you, if you just focus on planning and you don't see the people and you don't have the skills needed to to um, to also orchestrate or moderate a, a heated discussion among various stakeholders it's difficult and I think that's 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 where actually many of these professions not only urban planning but other professions also need to go 
are much more into softer skills. Hmm. How do we do that? Because like I, I attended three different universities in different countries and none of them teaching like storytelling, communication skills and education. And it's going to take years until they have this kind of course. I mean, how, how do we as urban planners that are working now start to, to learn and get these skills? What, what is your advice? Do it. Trial and error. Um, I think, first of all, you, can, you might have in your team uh, people who have experience in it. So, so work with them. Um, learn from them. But to be honest, a lot of teams learn this uh, by trial and error. They do things, they, they think this is right, they fail, and then please learn from it and not uh, hang the person who made the mistake. Um, and that's also something, at least coming from, from a German-speaking countries, uh, very widely used you know, in, in public administration, for example, you know, somebody making a mistake, that's bad for your um, career. But that's kind of stupid, because if you, if you kind of avoid people trying out new things and, 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 and kind of telling them, well, you can innovate, but if you make a mistake, you're out, uh, that's not really a motivation <laughs> to even try. So you have to create that environment that also for your team, that it's okay to test things and to figure out how things work or, or, or don't work. And that's a leadership issue or a leadership and, and culture theme uh, that we also see changing. So it's a lot about learning on the job actually, because you know some might work on, on, on projects for the public, others might work on, on very different urban planning topics, but in the end, it will require you to work with a lot of stakeholders. And if you're not able to, to navigate these different stakeholders or to make sure that, that they're all fighting for the same thing in the end, it's going to be tough. This is so true. So your advice is just do it. Yeah. Awesome. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. And what is your favorite public space? Hmm. I got so many, you know, I like parks. Um, when we were doing the conference in Oslo, I really liked the seafront. They have such a beautiful seafront in the city center. And you can just, you know, you drop out of the building and you, you take off your shoes and you can even go swimming there. Um, uh, it's so relaxing, so beautiful. Um, but in the end, I like places where I meet people. So, uh, every good and or well done public space where I meet people where where there are people are great places whether it's a square whether it's an area where you have outdoor um, uh, cafes and restaurants whether it's um, a park a promenade doesn't matter so people people is the magnet yes yes yeah and, and do you have time for your hobbies? And what are your hobbies? Um, well, I do have a couple of hobbies. Uh, but um, yes, the job takes a lot of time. Uh, luckily slash unfortunately. Um, in particular, the past two years, 
with COVID hitting us and having a very profound effect on on, on our team and the, the way we operate. But in the time that I do have, um, I like to um, to be creative. Sometimes I write uh, a bit uh, with, uh, with images, but um, I really love to cook. So whenever <laughs> I have the time uh, and the possibility also, um, I, I cook. And if, if I tell my family I'm cooking, yeah. uh, then they yeah. know, oh, no. Uh, that means he's <laughs> gone for a day in the kitchen. Ah. Um, and and that's, yeah. So it's not really just cooking for getting food, but it's actually for the fun of, of, of working it out and cooking. Um, and it's, yeah, it's usually a day. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should like do this uh, community kitchen and urban future, you know, in Helsingborg and cook for the... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure if, if we got the time to, you know, to invest a, a full day in cooking. Uh, but um, yeah, it could be a good thing. Actually, food is a big yeah. topic in sustainability. So um, a couple of touch points there. And uh, there will be, uh, there will actually be a super food uh, concept uh, during age 22 uh, with one of Sweden's most acclaimed chefs. Um, he's, he's having a food concept for the city and for age 22. So that's gonna be if if you like food, that that's <coughs> that you're gonna like. Yeah, yeah. So uh, three more questions before the end of this episode, and the first one is: if you will be another like uh, creator, object, anything, but not a person, what will you choose to be, and why? Maybe a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I oh. met. I, I, I've traveled to uh, Central America uh, many years ago and there I saw, I was lucky enough to see in the jungle um, a family of monkeys, howla monkeys. And they were so, not only so peaceful, but they were so incredibly caring about each other, about their babies. And um, it was, it, it felt like they all loved each other. And um, I love that kind of environment. Um, I love my family and I love, love the way, uh, the kind of positive vibes it gives you, the, the possibility of making mistakes without, you know, being getting your head chopped off, or at least most of the times not. Um, it's, um, yeah, I like that. And uh, the monkeys seem to have that. Yeah, a monkey. Interesting. Give me and the listeners three takeaway messages. You can summarize what we talk about or takeaway messages from like your experience about cities. I think there are a couple of things uh, that we that we really learned from the work with so many change makers uh, from from cities around the world. First of all, I think. If you want to create change, you need to make sure that, that there is the right environment for it. Uh, and if I say the right environment, it means that, uh, that you got the right people, the right mood, the right, um, the right feeling. It's not always the right moment for change uh, because, you know, if you're now, I don't know if like 
a year and a half ago when the whole pandemic started uh, and you talk to politicians about, yeah, we need to transform our mobility system. They probably would tell you, yeah, come, please come back after the pandemic. Um, that's just not the right moment. So you need to make sure that you also get the right moment to do. But if you want to drive change and if you are not in the right organization to do so, look for alternatives. Don't waste your time uh, waiting for something external to happen. That that will be one advice that I have. Um, the other advice or another advice is that you should not underestimate what you can make happen. It, we have seen unbelievable things happen that were initiated by a person who didn't see you know what in the end this would make but they had an idea they had a passion say okay this is what 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 somebody should be doing and i do this now and and they just got going and whether it's a trash picker in bogota who transformed sing or started single-handedly the transformation of a whole city district from being a waste dump to being a city district, or whether it's a student who thought, hey, we should be collecting trash, separate it, and that developed into a program of trash collection in Latin America, where now close to 100,000 people work at collecting and selecting trash and having a way of living or whether it's a guy from Norway who cleans beaches of plastic, who eventually had an impact on how Scotland is making its, um, its laws on, on plastic bottles. You never know where it goes. So uh, don't ask, underestimate what, what you can achieve. And the third thing that goes with it is just do it. Get, you know, get started. Stop talking about it. Get started making the first step. The first step is the toughest, but once you made it, the second one is not so tough. The third one becomes easier, um, and 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 you build momentum. So, if, if you want to drive change, do it. It's yeah. Easier yeah. Than that. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I love I, I love your messages. The final question is going to be asked by you in this episode. Ask me. Ask the listener a question. If you had a choice and you wouldn't have to worry about money, what would you do with your life, in your life? Interesting. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your valuable time to record this episode. Um, I'm really looking forward to the event and I'm, I'm happy and inspired by talking to you. Thank you so much, Gerald. Well, Mustafa, thank you for having me at the show and um, all the best. Well, thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. You learned something new and also got inspired by the guest. Don't forget to share the episode on your social media and recommend it to people you think they are really interested in this topic. Thank you so much again for giving your valuable time to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif. Keep up the good work. Keep loving cities.